Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Good and Pastor Brett Bowen and myself wrap up our discussion on Article 10 of the Augsburg Confession about Holy Communion, looking at a New Testament passage and how it points to this wonderful means of grace. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by my friends, Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Brian Rickey. All right, we continue our string of episodes on the Lord's Supper, and uh, today is the New Testament episode. Yeah, we're going to be in a very straightforward passage, a not at all <laughs> controversial section of Scripture. I can't imagine anyone will be offended by anything we do today. No, never. Revelation never. 19. Yeah, good. Yeah. So, should I read it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Brian? Were you going to say something? Yeah. What, what, what there's to be controversial over, but yeah. Jesus yeah. comes again and brings those who are his home to live with him, and this is the result. And mm-hmm. It's a, really a, a fulfillment of Psalm 23 and all right. of the other bridegroom imagery that we see all throughout the scriptures. Yep. And it's a beautiful picture. I've said it yep. before. I'll say it again. If your eschatology ends in panic... And not comfort, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. That's that would be a fantastic series of episodes for us to dig into that a little I, more. I would love to do a podcast Bible study series mm-hmm. on the book of Revelation because it's my favorite book in scripture. Mm-hmm. But shout out to our, our friends. Yeah, someone's already doing it. Yeah. Um, God's Word During Exile is mm-hmm. a video podcast done by uh, four non-AFLC pastors, good friends of ours, well, uh, Ben Baker, Matt, Matt Nelson, Mike Natal, and Mike Hussey are uh, doing good work. Check them out on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've already got that covered. I will say this, when it comes to Revelation, the same mistakes people make with Holy Communion, mm-hmm. people make with the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And that's they isolate and itemize the individual topics and try to deal with them rather than looking at the whole thing uh, in one unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, dividing up uh, dividing up Revelation is going to get you lost in the woods so, so, so quickly. Mm-hmm. You will not see the forest through the trees. Yeah. Uh, there, there's this one book in particular I had in college that was given to me. Uh, the, the book described four separate times Jesus returned. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> there's no second coming. You know, we're on like the fifth coming yeah. at that point. And it's, yeah. It sounds like your gripping title. The, the, the fifth coming the, of the Christ. The fifth coming of Christ. Yeah, yeah. It's, this is the problem. But uh, so, you know, there's going to be no misunderstanding or miscommunications when we try to tie mm-hmm. the, the doctrine of Holy Communion to right. the book of Revelation. Yes. Yeah. And we're doing that from Revelation 19 verses 6 through 10. And I think before we get too much more off off rail, off the beaten track. <laughs> off the beaten track. Well, let's hear the text, um, Revelation 19, starting at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Here ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 All right, where do we go? Where do you want to go, Jason, to start? Not patently obvious. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. We yeah. have to spell it out? No. Yeah, please um, do. Well, you know, like we mentioned before, the, the struggle with talking about communion from a, a, a bigger picture yeah. or scriptural perspective is that we don't have a ton of obvious material to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the baptism imagery is all over. Water can yep. be found just about everywhere in scripture. But communion is limited to four direct passages. Mm-hmm. And then your most common theme in scripture um, for, for illusion and allegory is the, uh, the feast yep. and Christ's relationship mm-hmm. with the church in multiple places is described as a marriage. Mm-hmm. You go Song of Solomon, yep. various passages in the Old Testament, and then Ephesians 5 yep. is where you get that Christ and her, his bride, the church. But then the the marriage is described as coming together at the feast. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the context where we're going to be discussing what's going on with Holy Communion, mm-hmm. is that not only... You have the the praises of the saints and the word of God present, but you have a very obvious uh, connection to baptism in verse 8 that puts it all into perspective mm-hmm. because it was granted to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. Mm. And the fine linen, fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. If you interpret this improperly, what you're going to end up with is what we see in the American evangelical church with the emphasis on piety that no matter what, we're still going to somehow come out as works righteousness Pharisees. No matter, no matter how hard we try to avoid it, no matter how hard uh, we, we resist it by saying sola fide at the top of our lungs, we're going to end up there one way, shape, or form another because of verses like this. Until we realize that the context for the second half of verse 8 is the first half of verse 8, and the first half of verse 8 is talking about baptism. Mm -hmm. Being granted to be clothed, kind of connecting to Galatians 3.27, the idea of being clothed with Christ and the the robes of righteousness from him. We're clothed in Christ. Mm -hmm. All of the clothing imagery in Scripture, all of it, starting with Genesis 3 mm-hmm. and, and rolling, we talked about this, is fulfilled in baptism, which means the righteous deeds of the saints are the deeds that are given to the saints because of Christ yep. and the deeds that are made possible in our vocation. Mm-hmm. You know, the imperfect deeds that we do in our vocations oh, are acceptable. Yeah. Got it in there. Are acceptable to God because of Christ, not because mm-hmm. of us. Does that right. mean it's sola fide? Correct. <laughs> you know, but but I mean it's it's we see it so often in the American uh, the American church it almost becomes trite to talk about is that you can get an American evangelical to say sola fide until it's coming out of their ears mm-hmm. and as soon as you talk to them about the Christian life it's works righteousness yeah. yep you know mm-hmm. we we all become these these navel gazing fruit checkers uh, the moment we start talking about righteousness yep. and, and we suddenly forget that righteousness is by imputation and declaration, not by performance. Yeah. Can we take the words of Christ, you know, in uh, the prodigal, yep. prodigal son parable, the marriage feast mm-hmm. yep. parable, and all of the, the wedding garments were provided mm-hmm. for the guests by the bridegroom. Yeah. Which to to bring it to to make it sure this isn't an episode about baptism, <laughs> the context for that right. then 
is that communion is the feast of the redeemed. Mm-hmm. But the proper use of our baptism yeah. <laughs> is the preparation of our hearts to receive Holy Communion. You know, you're mm-hmm. daily walking in repentance when you're yeah. daily receiving the forgiveness of sins, and that's your connection to communion mm-hmm. because communion is the physical application of the forgiveness of sins uh, in, with, and under the bread and wine, yeah. body and blood of Christ. And that's where verse Good. 9 comes into right. play, correct? Yeah. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage yeah. supper of the Lamb. And it's, right. it's one of those things. This is where we don't want to play games like the Reformed do with the elect and the reprobate. Um, mm. The who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Everyone by me by way of Christ dying for the sins of the whole world is invited. Mm-hmm. Many are called, few are chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, by the grace of God, those who respond to the gospel, uh, you know, you don't want to sound crass in saying it. That's out of our control. Mm-hmm. You know, if we are faithfully, <clears throat> if we are faithfully preaching the gospel, we need to let the Holy Spirit do His work. Yes. And, 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 and that's what it ends up being. You, you don't want to say that heartlessly. You, you want to communicate mm-hmm. the gospel repeatedly, right, right. Uh, you know, tenderly, whatever it calls for. But we don't want to make God sound like a criminal saying that he's only giving certain people a chance at eternity. That's mm-hmm. not what's being stated here in Revelation 19. Right. And I kind of jokingly said a couple episodes, you know, come and get it. You know, like yeah. uh, standing on the front porch of the house, you know, calling mm-hmm. out, come on, it's already. It, that that probably wouldn't have been better for this passage oh. uh, to talk about that, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb and uh, calling people to that, inviting people to that. Well, and just tying that together in that, you know, as we participate in Holy Communion, it is pointed forward to this moment mm-hmm. when, when Christ yeah. returns and, and brings those who are his home to live with with him for all eternity. And, and just that, do this in remembrance of me for sustenance, preservation, mm-hmm. and to also remind us of the promise of eternal life yeah. and the second coming of Christ. Yep. Well, it's it, at various points, you'll find people who will rightly say, one, that the congregation is a little slice of heaven, two, that the worship service is a little slice of heaven. And they're both right, because here is your intersect. And one of my favorite things to say during the worship services, when we confess our faith, we confess with the church for all time and in all places. Mm-hmm. And you have that, that kind of divine intersect with everyone who's come before, everyone who's going to come after, that we're doing the same thing. And that is this great eternal feast. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what's so interesting about this with what we talked about in the first two episodes of this arc is that the praise at the beginning of the the kind of the doxology in here, the song of the feast, is exactly the nature of communion. It's hallelujah for our Lord, the Lord our God Almighty reigns. And so what happens at the wedding feast, what happens at Holy Communion is based on the sovereignty of God. And, and I, I'm, this is going to be a veiled cheap shot, but I have no other way to do this. It is amazing to me from an outsider looking in on the perspective of the Calvinists that their entire system is based on the sovereignty of God, and God is sovereign over all things in every way, shape, or form, except when you get to Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. And then they suspend the sovereignty of God for that. And and the Lutherans are like, no, look, the sovereignty of God right here, he's giving us his body and blood because he's sovereign. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and... 
again, we, we have reformed listeners. Uh, I, I don't mean you to throw... Send in your hate to, mail yeah, to Jason. I, yeah, Good, yeah. I don't mean to throw you under the bus on this, but, yeah. but take this with my sincerest concern yeah, yeah. that this is a legitimate criticism that I as an outsider have of your system of the sacraments mm-hmm. and especially Holy Communion. I, I do not understand the, the gymnastics required to make that inversion from my perspective. Hmm. All right. Yeah, we're, thanks be to God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and so we have this this feast here that's being described. Let's let's get into that a little more of, you know, thinking about this banquet and, you know, whatever your background is. I'm sure across cultures and across time, there's a certain way to go about feasting, or maybe certain images that you think about of grandma's house, or I mean, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, I'm thinking a few years back. Um, when I used to listen to the White Horse Inn a little bit more, uh-huh. um, I remember Michael Horton talking about an old movie called Babette's Feast. Yeah. And uh, how he described that as, you know, this this lady Babette was just getting all the delicacies and and just in, encouraging them to uh, to receive the good gifts of God that he's been he's given to us. So, yeah, what, what's that, up with this feast Well, here? and that ties mm-hmm. right into the Old Testament verse that we covered last yeah, episode, yes. taste and see that the Lord, he is good. You know, and just this this intimate picture of mm-hmm. us participating in what Christ has done because of God's grace and by God's grace in a mysterious way we can't fully understand. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there is, there's this intimate participation. And, and even chapter 6 of John kind of points to that, mm-hmm. you know. And I kept thinking about yeah. the Lord's Prayer, as you guys were talking, may it be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. God has given us so many things to continue continually remind us of, number one, that he keeps his promises— Number one, of the grace that is greater than our, number two, grace greater than our sin, and also the great hope of eternal life and the marriage supper of the Lamb where the bride is then consummated in marriage mm-hmm. to the bridegroom and we exist for all eternity in a place yep. he prepared. It's just yeah. all bridegroom imagery, even from, from back to Exodus and the, and the Passover meal, it's all yep. about the people of God being the bride of God. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what's interesting in all of that is is something we talked about with the Psalm 34 episode yeah. last week too. The You look at the hallelujah for the Lord our God, the, the Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Uh, the context of worship is based around what God is giving to us, mm-hmm. not what we're doing. What God and, has done, what God yeah, has exactly. accomplished. Yep. So, so you've got uh, at the end in verse 10 there, uh, where, where John falls down to worship the angel, giving him this tour of heaven, and the angel says, worship God. Well, the worship that is being described here before John is worship that is receiving the banquet that God has put on the table. And, and I think that's one of the most revolutionary things that Lutherans are bringing to the table is because in generic American Christianity, worship is almost always and only what we are doing for God. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, you know, and again, can we... Is praise part of worship? Absolutely. But is praise absolutely synonymous with worship? No. The the Lutheran concept of worship is that we are doing what God has asked us to do. And in that way, what he's asked us to do in the divine service is to receive his gifts. 
That's worship. When we receive communion, we're worshiping. When we hear the gospel, we're worshiping. Mm -hmm. And it's not just drumming ourselves up into this ecstatic mind frame where we are talking about how awesome God is Mm -hmm. and and we end up speaking about Jesus like he's our date to the homecoming dance. (laughs) Right. But, you know, I, I maybe want to push back a little bit on that in that there is a response that flows mm-hmm. from us, but it's first in the context of being a receiver of, well, of God's grace and his work. And it's and it's a response that is couched mm-hmm. in what God has done. Yes. There's nothing wrong with praise. And and, and this is the thing where, again, we, we get into this thing where people are talking past each other. Yeah. As yeah. Lutherans, we don't have a problem with praise. What we would object to is praise as the thing that is desired in the service and praise that is devoid of the context of what God is doing. If, if I hear a praise and worship song and it says nothing about Christ, nothing about his blood, nothing about forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. what are we praising God for? We're not praising God for anything different than any other person in any other religion would praise their God for. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's fine occasionally to praise God for being better than us, but that's a pretty low bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it doesn't take much. But if we praise a God who is almighty, all-powerful, the creator of the universe, sovereign over all creation, but we praise God because that God mm-hmm. is the one who put himself on a cross, that God is the one who experienced death in our place, that God is the God who rose again, that God is a God who is putting his body and blood on the altar among his saints so that they might be forgiven— that's praiseworthy. Well, and that's what we're celebrating, that banquet of mm-hmm. grace that God has given. Banquet of grace. Oh, you know? I love that. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I was thinking about Isaiah chapter 7. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of the church makes the same pro, you know, same mistake as Ahaz did. You know, Ahaz put his trust in men, put in trust in his own efforts and in, in the military forces around him. And God's like, hey, I'm, you pick the sign. It can be as high as heaven or as low as shield. Mm-hmm. You pick it so that I can prove to you that I am with you and that I totally have your back. I'm paraphrasing. But then Ahaz... <laughs> Shot. But, yeah, yeah right. But then, but then Ahaz is like, well, I don't want to test the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And what a shocking thing. But then we get the greatest promise of all that yeah. comes out of that exchange in Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, mm. and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Yeah. But, but what yep. you highlighted it has tremendous implications for what we're talking about in Holy Communion, mm-hmm. because there is a difference between this prideful false piety, false humility, and actual humility. Mm -hmm. And so you have this prideful, well, I want to be careful how often I go to communion because I know I'm really not worthy, Mm -hmm. you know, versus, wait, I go to communion because I'm not worthy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's at communion that God washes over Mm -hmm. my unworthiness with his blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, from a personal experience standpoint, Mm -hmm. I just you know, was in a parish where we, you know, celebrated Holy Communion every Sunday at at the first service. And I never, ever felt that it became mundane or too Mm -hmm. ordinary. And we have talked about this before where that's on the individual. And I'm, I'm again in that same situation where I participate in Holy Communion almost every single weekend, except for the the months that have five weekends in them. And I just think it's such a blessing to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And it just continually just reminds me again of the promises of God, the banquet of grace that we're talking about and and the certainty of God's, you know, promise of eternal life. Mm -hmm. And I need that. Yeah. 
So let me ask you guys this, you know, because we've been talking a little bit about the the response and and uh, the the perspective here of a of a banquet of grace, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're we're kind of winding down on this episode here too. Um, the tone with which we usually come to the Lord's supper is a super somber, serious tone. Um, how do you guys reconcile that versus this idea that we're coming to this feast of grace of, you know, the, an idea of a marriage celebration? We're usually jovial, uh, laughing, enjoying, <laughs> enjoying our, ourselves. All sorts uh, of images popping yeah. in my head right now. <laughs> this, this is how I wedding receptions. This yeah. is how I picture it. I, I think that there's a place for the yeah. the solemn nature of right. it and and the sober examination of the yes. heart. Second Corinthians, we think about godly grief um, produces um, repentance. repentance toward a salvation without regret. That's an important part. To me, it's like Good Friday in preparation and Sunday morning as we leave mm-hmm. the, the holy table. Yeah, you know? and, and it's one service, even yes. though it's three days. It's yep. one event. That, I think it's a both-end answer. You know, yeah. you have that, that self-examination That's part. That's yeah. But, but w- what we miss in the AFLC, and, and this is one of my deeper regrets, and I, and I got this because my grandpa was a pastor in the old ALC before all the ELCA shenanigans and everything, and he ended up back in the AFLC. Uh, but the, I can't speak to a Missouri Synod service because I don't go to a Missouri, Missouri Synod church. But in the communion liturgy, of the old ALC from the Lutheran Book of Worship, the green hymnal, which my my cousins and I used to call the Sertz hymnal because <laughs> it looks like it had flecks of mint on the <laughs> edge of the pages. Uh, we call the Sertz hymnal. Oh yes, I'm uh, talking about. But yeah. the but the, uh, <laughs> the the communion liturgy uh, was this amazingly catchy song that was celebratory. This is the feast of victory for our God. Mm-hmm. Alleluia, alleluia, I'm off key. You know, that kind of thing. But yes. that's not present in AFLC worship in many places. We hmm. we, we we get the somber. Yeah. We get we get Good Friday. <laughs> but but the resurrection part of thing hmm. is communion is the feast of victory. Nothing defeats the kingdom of the devil more than holding out Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. That that is literally figuratively and physically what conquered the gates of Mm. And that's how the joy of the Lord mm-hmm. can be our strength because he has won the victory. Mm-hmm. It's already been done. Yep. And that's where that joy and that peace yep. truly comes from. And and I think that there is a beautiful mm-hmm. exchange and, and you can maybe see it that way in Good Friday, Good Friday as we come forward and receive the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Easter morning. Because yep. that resurrection yep. is, is that certainty of the yep. forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. Law and gospel, repentance and faith. Sounds familiar. Sin and grace. Yeah. yeah. Good. All clicks together. Word and sacrament. Word and sacrament. There we go. Do you have a verse for us, Brian? I do. I'm actually going to read uh, Psalm 23. I just think it fits really well. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you for joining us. 
Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as we enter into a Q&A time from questions delivered from you, the listener. God bless you and have a great week.